Well, good evening. It's good to see you here. Take your Bibles, please, and join me in Ephesians chapter 6. We are in this section of this epistle where we are discussing relationships. We've covered marriage relationships already in this chapter, or in chapter 5, excuse me. We spent six weeks covering uh, marriage. We could have easily spent months doing so. So don't think what was said was all-inclusive. I would have said amen if I was sitting out there. Keep working at your marriages. You're never at the point where you're done working on your marriage. Maybe we need to go back to marriage, amen. Repreach some of these things. In this chapter, we find child-parent relationships, employer-employee relationships, and we'll begin looking at children and parents tonight. But when I began studying, this accidentally turned more into an introduction, so just stick with me. Let me give you some disclaimers. Every, every good mini-series within a series within a series needs disclaimers. Our series is Ephesians, our mini-series is Relationships, and our mini-mini-series is now Children. All right. I have four children. All of them are still in the house. Therefore, I do not know what it's like to launch a kid out into the world. My kids are 17, 15, 13, and 11. Now that Sydney is 17, I do know this. We don't have much time. Boy, it goes by fast. And you begin to realize in my, in, in my world, I started to realize around 15 and a half, uh-oh, I was out of the house at the age of 17. And we just don't have much time to pour into our kids all that we really want to. And we have to make time to do that. We have to make time to teach them about God. We have to. We have to make the time. We'll get so busy with life that we will find other things that capture our time, our careers, our church life. And next thing you know, we turn around and our kids are getting married and they're out of the house. Going off to college, starting a job, joining militaries. And so we've got to just take advantage of every opportunity. So I may not know everything, but I know the pain and struggles of raising children up to this point. Side note, I also know that it never gets less expensive. I remember when we had a bunch of them in diapers and stuff, and I kept thinking, man, we're going we're gonna to be rolling in the dough as they get older. Uh-uh. Then they start eating. And Luke could eat us out of house and home in one meal. Now we've got... Two teenage boys. The secondhand stores no longer work. That works for a season, but then they get to a point where, you know, adults ain't just usually throwing out good clothes. <laughs> good clothes. <laughs> Got to buy new clothes, vehicles, insurance, phones nowadays, medical. It just seems like it never ends, doesn't it? 
But I know the pain and struggles of raising children up to this point, even in a godly home. We even had our, our, all of our kids were in church nine months before they were born. And with an exception here and there for sicknesses and so forth, our kids have been in church every week of their life. They were homeschooled for a few years. They now attend our academy. But I want you to listen to me very closely. That does not guarantee godly children. Now, raising your child in church certainly does not hurt. But it doesn't guarantee a thing. And I just need to give these disclaimers as we go forward. If it guaranteed it, then we would have a works-based salvation. And millions in this world would be without hope because their families aren't going to church. Every child has to make their own decision. We have to know that when we get into something like this. Every child has to go their way in life. And some may choose to reject the upbringing that they were raised with. I would remind you that Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Abel had brought a more excellent sacrifice unto the Lord and that made Cain very wroth and he raised up and killed his brother. And yet they were both raised in the same home. One had a heart of righteousness and one was a murderer. Satan got in the mix. Same home, different hearts. And many of you can testify that to your own upbringings. I have two sisters. I'm a middle child. And we're all different. We were all raised the same way. But we're all different. And at this point in my life, I would never reveal to anyone the depth of the satanic attacks against our children. But I will tell you that the enemy is very real. And if he can't get mom and dad, he's going after the kids. This is very serious what we're talking about. Only a few of you know the burden of being a pastor's kid. And I would ask you to please pray for my children. Some of you might be surprised how pastor kids get treated amongst what's supposed to be their family. And it just breaks my heart. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still surprised that kids who grow up in a pastor's home, enter the ministry. And thank God they do. But I'm never surprised when they step away from church. Now, you've heard me say it before, but none of us have the right to look at another family and say, boy, I, I can tell you what they did wrong. You better be careful with that kind of thinking. Because you don't live in the house. You don't know what happened in the home. You don't know what went on behind closed doors. You don't know the heart of that child like that parent does. And you don't have the right to look at somebody else and try to correct what you think they did wrong after the fact. And really, some, most of the time, you just need to keep your nose out of it anyway. So don't get lifted up in pride and think that you're God's gift to parents. 
I have, uh, now that I've been in church for this many years of my life, I have now witnessed the raising of a generation and have seen firsthand those who I thought were doing excellent in the parenting role had kids that just went nuts. So don't think you're God's gift to parents. If your kid turned out just to be the, the best thing on the planet, it is by the grace of God. And the fact that they did business with God in their heart, that they got their heart right with God, that they sold out for God, and that they bought the truth and they didn't sell it. They had to make their own heart decision. And I also want you to know by way of a disclaimer, that just because my children have yet to leave the home, it does not lessen the validity of God's Word. And I say that because for some it's going to be hard as we go through this maybe. Um, well, you don't know what you're talking about. If it's coming from the Word of God, it's truth. And I, I know where you're at with that. Um, I think we've all experienced that to some degree. I, I would think it would be difficult to take parenting advice from somebody who's never parented. That might be pretty difficult. So don't tune me out as we go along. If it's the Bible, it's truth. Period. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A head nurse at a maternity ward was telling the story of when a young mother-to-be was hurriedly making her way to the hospital, to the maternity ward one morning at the crack of dawn. Her husband was hurrying in be, behind her, carrying the bags. And his face is all flushed, and she's all flushed, and she signs in very quickly. She gets robed up. They bring her into a delivery room, and she's, she's trembling with anticipation. The, the nurse went in and began some preliminary preparations they got the mother-to-be all hooked up. They began checking her vitals. And as the nurse looked at this, this young woman, she, she saw the youthfulness in her and, and noticed some things about her that were common to first-time mothers. And she asked her, is this your first child, honey? And she said, yes. And the nurse said, it's going to be okay. And as the nurse began to uh, assure her that she was going to get through this, and as she's feeling around for the child, and the nurse asks, how far apart are your contractions? And the mother-to-be said, I'm not having any contractions. And she asked, are you in any discomfort? And she said, no. The nurse stood back, and she folded her arms, and she said, then why are you here? And she said, because this is my due date. <laughs> I tell you that story because parenting is the last great amateur sport. Many read all the books they can. They ingest all they can ahead of time. But until you do it yourself, you just don't know. But then there comes the day the baby's born and you're holding this new life in your arms. And the reality of all that begins to sink in. It's like I was mentioning the one who has the advice and knows everything that needs to be done with your children is an expert in raising children and yet they've never had children themselves. Then the day comes that they have children and then it sets in in their life. 
all of a sudden the perspective changes, right? You've heard it said before how just about anyone can make a baby, but not everyone makes a parent. To make a baby doesn't take money. It doesn't take a special upbringing. It doesn't take a certain level of morality or maturity. It doesn't mean you have to attain to some certain level of wisdom. It, but to make a parent is altogether different. And I think we would have to agree with each passing generation it's becoming more and more difficult in America to raise children. It's certainly far different than it was 60 to 70 years ago. In fact, back then there were some things about society that were advantageous in having children. There were things in society which children were not allowed to do. There were certain behaviors that were being promoted before children for them to mirror. And all of these things that were going on back then were a help to the parents. Back there in the 50s, you could set your child in front of the television and let them watch Father Knows Best, Leave It to Beaver, and without quoting a Bible verse, it would reemphasize Bible principles that you were trying to instill in your children. The principles were right. But today, the nuclear family is almost non-existent on television. And if you do find it, it is usually the husband is some bumbling idiot who doesn't know his left hand from his right hand, and if it wasn't for his wife, he'd be in the mental institution somewhere. Today, when we send our children out, we are not sending them into an environment which agrees with biblical principles. We are not sending them into a world that believes with a biblical upbringing. And our children are going to go out into this minefield of moral decisions that they have to sidestep and and work their way through. And there are decisions that are being demanded of them at such an early age that they're not even ready to process those things. And as a result, it can be very frightening to be a parent today. Now, it isn't that these problems didn't exist back then. They did. The, The difference is the volume of it and the age in which it's being offered. Very, very young for some of these children. And all of this has come to pass because we have allowed the kind of environment necessary for what we find in America today. It's like when environmental conditions are right for a year where, and I don't know much about bugs and such, but let's say that it wasn't a very hard winter and... uh, we had maybe more moisture than normal and we warmed up sooner or something like that. And there is an infestation of something because the environment was just right for it. Maybe a parasite or something like that is hatched and it is now just coming forth and it's everywhere. We saw that out there um, in New Underwood. The grasshoppers would come in such volume they ate the paint off the house. Certain seasons. And now we've set the environment in America way back there that we're seeing this infestation. 
It started back in the mid to, uh, mid to late 1800s when textual criticism made its way from Germany over into America and it began to spread throughout America and then God and the Bible began to be questioned and rejected, especially at the scientific level and at the philosophical level. And we started to reject the things of God. Church pulpits were silent on essential issues that they should have been preaching about. And they kept their mouths shut. They weren't preaching against these things. And the incubation of the parasites had begun. And it progressively worsened until the 1960s when God was expelled from the schools. And what was stirring this life that was stirring below the soil all of a sudden became this infestation that came out of the ground. And it spread everywhere. And from the 60s on, every decade has been in decline more and more. Until what we find today. You can look at the statistics before and after prayer was removed from our public schools. And you will find undeniable proof that the rejection of God has led to the degeneration of a society. Ever since prayer was kicked out of school in 1962 through 1963, society has declined drastically. School dropouts, divorce rates, single parent households, alcohol consumption, unmarried couples living together. Unwed pregnancies, violent crimes, STDs, premarital, uh, premarital sex, abortion, suicide rates all saw a sharp increase after God was rejected in our country. And those same areas that peaked in the 1980s, some of those leveled off, but the, the stats are very misleading because now we define things differently as a society as we did back then. And it's easy to show a decline in unwed pregnancies when you kill them in the womb. And now our children are facing such a sin-filled world that some old-timers could never have believed that their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren would be seeing what they're facing today. The devil is out there seeking whom he may devour. The depravity has never been on such a level in, in America. The technology explosion has made sin so readily available that a child can literally, at their fingertips, can access sin in every category. And then young eyes, ears, and minds are taking in such debauchery that they don't even know how to handle it. We need to pray for children today. We need to earnestly pray. For our children, wake up and listen to me. You've got to teach them godly principles in your home. You cannot expect the schools to develop godly character in their lives. Don't just bring them to church and think everything's going to be okay. Don't just think eliminating a certain temptation in the home. Is going to be enough. Don't think putting them in a Christian school is going to be enough. If children are going to get what they need to stand against the wiles of the devil, then it has to be found in the home. Five hours of church a week isn't enough. And here's what many parents do. They never really instilled into their children what they needed to withstand the world's onslaught of sin. And when it was time for them to go to college, they sent them off to a, a place of higher learning. And it was an institution that did nothing but bombard them, propagate them, and, and teach them things that came at them with such volume that they never came back the same. And for years they questioned their upbringing. 
And so our job as parents isn't just to have our children in a good environment during their childhood. That's not enough. But we have to instill in them godly character. Godly principles. Which help them to stand for God after they leave the nest. Everybody with me tonight? You can read all the books on parenting you want. You can subscribe to all the publications you want. But the ultimate authority on parenting is right here in the Word of God. This is all you need, really. So what does God require in a parent and in a child? The Bible is clear that we are to raise a certain kind of child. We're not commanded to have smart children. Amen. Sometimes they come home with less than stellar marks. And then I have to yell at Larry and Darlene and say, why are you making my kid have a self-esteem problem? Just kidding. We're not commanded to have good-looking kids. We're not commanded to have athletic children, charming children, witty children. But the Bible is clear on this. We are to raise godly children. This is to be the primary goal of a parent. There is no amount of pain that you can go through that will dampen your joy with a godly kid. You can go through a lot of pain in life, but there's no greater joy than to hear that your children walk in truth. But I'll tell you on the flip side of that, there is no amount of success that you can achieve in your life that will dampen the pain of watching a rebellious child destroy themselves. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 14, 25, but in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. He had everything going. And yet Absalom died as a rebel. He was treasonous against his own father. He died as a fool. And David, who had all of the world's privileges, had everything at his fingertips, could not shake the pain of a godless son. And David cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died in your place, my son, my son. We are told to have godly children. And this is key because in our culture, your child's worth is largely being determined by three things. One, their looks. Two, their brains. And three, their talent. You see, it's based upon their accomplishment, not upon who they are. And we need parents who will tell, tell their children, I would rather you be a hardworking student than a smart one. I would rather you be a godly child than a good-looking one. I would rather you be a team athlete than a great single one. We need to be more concerned with their character than their reputation. We need to be more concerned with their wisdom than their grades. We need to be more concerned about them knowing God than about their fame. Because if we focus on the wrong things, when they don't attain it, they'll be crushed. And even worse is if they do attain it. Because they'll live a life of about 40 years of a delusion. They'll go from the thoughts of looks, brains, talent. They'll grow out of that and they'll try to collect all this material things they can to try to prove to themselves that they're a success and prove to others who are also deceived that their life has been worth something. 
And nothing is more sad to me than to see parents who apply all kinds of pressure on their child for them to become some prodigy in the areas of looks, brains, and talent. They push their children in their studies because they displayed some reasonable amount of intelligence. Or they push their children in sports because they had some amount of talent. They push their children through beauty pageants because they had some outward beauty. And they did that seeing these dollar signs that could be one day. But do you know what happens to 99.99% or more of them? They eventually level off into normalcy. And now all of a sudden you're a, big, you're a small fish in a big pond. Nobody comes knocking. They might get some awards along the way, but that's it. Rapid City has only turned out a handful of professional athletes who had career success. Mark Ellis in the Major, uh, in the major League Baseball Becky Harmon in the WNBA, Adam Vinatieri in the NFL. There's never been a Miss America crown from the state of South Dakota. What are the odds that your child is the next professional athlete or the first Miss America? And listen now, I said all that to say this. We spend far more time investing in those areas of life which are likely to never matter down the road. Now, I hope your child is the exception and that you teach them the tie that Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. I'm okay with that. I can tell you I played sports throughout my childhood. I, I can hit and catch a baseball. I can sink the three-pointers. I know how to play tennis. I play quarterback. But guess what? Nobody cares now. Nobody cares now. And what am I benefit today knowing how to do those things? Now, before someone takes this the wrong way, I am in no way against childhood athletics. In fact, I'm for them. But please understand that that isn't the main thing in life. The main thing is doing all we can to turn out godly children who will love the Lord all the days of their life. Are you with me? How about investing in your children those things that are godly? You'll say, well, sports builds character. No, it doesn't. If sports build character, we wouldn't have sport athletes running around on their wives. Gambling everything away. Being caught shoplifting, that still blows my mind. Being hooked on drugs. Being hooked on alcohol. It doesn't build character. We find the same things coming out of the church. Coming to church doesn't build character. Only God builds character. And if you don't instill that in your children, where are they going to get it from? I thoroughly enjoyed playing sports and I still love competition. I will compete with you on anything except spoons. <laughs> Stupidest game ever. But God bless you, sis. Don't play with Mrs. Williams. She has been known to draw blood playing spoons because she plays spoons with knives. <laughs> I really do enjoy those things, but none of those things make a man of God. Please don't let those things drive your church schedule. Now, I was very blessed to live in a part of the country when I was growing up that you didn't have practice or games on Wednesdays or Sundays. You just didn't because everybody went to church. It was at least part of the culture to go to church. But now nobody cares. Well, we're going to have practice Wednesday night. And now you're stuck with a moral decision. What do I do? And so many are choosing athletics. Well, we're going to have a game on Sunday. What are you going to do? What are you going to show your child that's more important? 
the things of God or the pleasures of this world. I know that might be hard for some to hear, but listen, you need to hear these things. How many today miss church in favor of whatever their child is interested in? Boy, I'm trying hard not to preach tonight, but I got to tell you, don't you let your kid's interest drive you. You drive their interest. You have to. Luke loves to hunt. Bless his heart. He ain't doing it on Sunday. And we have to, we have to draw the line somewhere. We have to say no. We go to church. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You have to make those decisions. Some children have so much pressure placed upon them. And some of you may still be recovering from the pressure that was placed upon you in your childhood. And these are those who will spend their life trying to arrive. They climb to the top of the ladder just to find that the ladder is leaning against the wrong building. You see, you can get to the top of an area of life that the world will tell you will make you successful, rich, popular, loved. But how many testimonies have we heard from those from Hollywood, the sports world, the business world, who thought they had everything and had attained some place in life just to learn they never had peace and they never had happiness. People will literally commit suicide when the stock market crashes. So parents, what kind of children are you trying to raise? Brains, looks, and talent? Or godliness. The Bible says in Psalm 127.3. Lo children are in heritage of the Lord. And the, fruit of his, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are, fun, are from God. And they are to be raised for God. What kind of a steward are you being of God's heritage? Are you raising godly children? It's the highest calling. One day you're going to shoot that arrow. What kind of child are you raising tonight? We'll get to the text next week and we'll talk about children obey. Let's pray.